Hey, it's David, and welcome back to the Tone Base Classical Guitar Podcast. And continuing on with these virtual interviews, it's been a very pleasant surprise how well these conversations are turning out. It's also opened up uh, some doors to be able to interview some fantastic artists who I may not have had a chance to meet with in person. Speaking of which, I've got Jason Vio on the show. He's a guitarist who truly needs no introduction. We had a great time talking about his influences outside of classical music and how he incorporates jazz elements into his own arrangements. We also talked about his Grammy Award winning record play and his upcoming second volume of Bach works played on the guitar. And we also talked about how he's turning to composition during these times of social distancing. Are you still feeling the quarantine blues? Head on over to tonebase.co and use the promo code podcast-3 for $15 off your subscription. I don't have a preview from volume two of the Bach recordings, but I'm going to play the beautiful jig and double from the Loop Partita in C minor, BWV 997. And this is from Jason's 2009 release of Bach, volume one.
You know, one of the things I find that really separates you from many musicians is how malleable of a performer you are, both in chamber settings, playing with ensembles, including the Escher Quartet. But you've also incorporated a lot of jazz into your repertoire. Did you uh, grow up with a classical background or have you just been interested in different styles of music? Well, I think it's some combination of the two things because, I mean, I started classical guitar young enough with Jeremy Sparks of the Buffalo Guitar Quartet to have a classical music background at a young age, around seven or eight years old. But honestly, before that, my father's record collection was entirely jazz, and my mother's record, record collection was soul and R&B and rock and roll records. So, you know, I'm definitely of that generation that where they heard a lot of that, that stuff. You know, they, that was on the radio, Things are being mixed all the time in popular music and jazz uh, and sort of art music or performance music, you know, uh, of music basically from the 30s through the 1970s. Yeah. And um, with the arranging for all these jazz tunes you've done, I mean, you did a whole record on Pat Metheny and... And your uh, Grammy winning record play, you you uh, had some beautiful arrangements. I particularly enjoy the Duke Ellington in a sentimental mood. Was this uh, was the arranging or transcribing of these kind of jazz and other styles of music something that came later for you, or were you kind of doing that right from the get go as well? You know, the the seed form of that I was doing right from the moment I started picking up the guitar. In fact, my mother had bought me a guitar, a classical guitar a kid size one. I think none of us even realizing what a classical guitar, that there was such a thing as classical guitar or such a thing as a classical guitar repertoire. And I started improvising and kind of goofing around on it, probably even from that age. And definitely, most definitely once I started lessons. So almost as soon as I could put things together. And a lot of this is starting to come back to me later I remember writing pieces as early as like 10, 11 years old, like, you know, composing things. And they sounded like, like really bad Fernando Sor, but it was this kind of working out of problems in a sense, like, which is what composition often is, is you have these options and you have to make choices. And so I think starting that way early is a little bit of that. And arranging is a type of compositional process in essence as well especially when you're sort of recrafting something or putting different harmonic changes under something like what I do with What a Wonderful World more recently. Um, and the, but generally picking things off the radio was something that I, I was doing really as soon as I started having classical guitar lessons regularly. And it's something that I find many classical guitars, unfortunately, steer clear, not just the kind of arrangement process, but just picking up tunes and music by ear, and it uses so much more of the creative side of the brain, which absolutely helps open up musicality. Is uh, I'm very glad that that was going from the start for you. Well, that was, I mean, because I think even back then, still there was this sense of specialization. It's you know better to be really good at something than than sort of be a, a jack of all trades, master of none. And I think the thinking nowadays is slightly more. Uh, is slightly more developed than that in the sense that if you, I mean, it's, it's tricky because it's hard to advise somebody on that. It's really easy to say, well, you should just try everything and do everything, but that's also in itself not necessarily true 
depending on the student, which is why, you know, you, you can't really have a one size fits all approach to teaching. But I think for me, it was, it did turn out all right because I was very focused on classical technical development and repertoire and development and performance and that kind of thing. So I wasn't really thinking of any of the arranging thing as developing something or working on it. There was this prevailing attitude that it was extraneous to the study of classical guitar and that it was not something that was necessarily going to help me, which maybe at that time it wouldn't have because I needed to be more focused, you know, classical performance and all the things that go around that. But I think later on, I began to entertain a little bit of it more because by that point, it came a little bit more natural to me. I think anything that you spend time doing, you know, the more solos you transcribe, the more little arrangements of pop tunes you do off the radio in your te- in your teens and whatnot. You know, I, I used to have electric guitar students when I was in middle school and high school. I had a couple of them. They were my friends. You know, they were my kind of rock and roll buddies type of thing. And they would, I remember one of them wanted to learn this, uh, acoustic guitar like the steel guitar uh steel string guitar intro off of an ozzy osborne record i still remember the name of the song it was called killer of giants yeah because i was the only kid in school that could pick it off the record well then i became the teacher you know <laughs> make a couple extra bucks as well it's just kind of it's like a lot of professional life in the beginning you're asked to do something and you go i think i could do that and then you do it and then you do that a similar skill again and again and again and then after a while you start to become very facile at it because you have the repetition arranging and pulling things off pulling things off of records by ear became you know at the, at the back end of it it looks like that was the method but it wasn't a method it was just kind of how it happened yeah i mean go, going back to your your cd play i mean i'm sure many of our listeners are very familiar with this record uh but but i'm definitely a big fan of it myself and uh uh, just in case if people don't know the story, or please correct me if I'm wrong, but that record kind of started as adding all these different songs, both classical and a couple of these jazz arrangements we're talking about, which uh, you enjoyed playing as encores, and you kind of compiled them into one recording, if I'm correct? I originally was meant by my producer and I, Al, uh, Alan Bice, and me just thinking like, you know, we're coming up on 20 years as a professional performer. You know, this is around 2003, 2000, wait, 2000, sorry, 13, 2014. Kind of coming up on a 20th anniversary. Why don't we make a record of encores? And and so I, I was like, well, you know, I don't, you know at that time, I, I, I really didn't have a lot of short pieces that I would be playing in concerts. I mean, I had some, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't really the type of performer that made a, a program a bunch of short pieces. I, I was I was still kind of doing a lot of Ponce sonatas, box sonatas, modern works, world premieres, and this kind of thing. So, But I like this idea very much, and so I thought, well, these are the fast... We wanted it to be fast pieces, mostly. It's like a true encores record. But, but I like playing the slow things, too. So I was like, well, can we... You know, can I have these in here? These are actually things I'll play as a slow encore, like a, a second or third encore, which is sort of a way of saying to the audience, okay, I'm pretty much, I'm done after this one. Uh, you're calling it. What's the most encores you've done in one night? Do you have a record? I don't know. It's something, I'm, I really make them beg for it. I, I really don't, I'm not one of those players that really run right out on stage. 
<laughs> I, I actually do. I actually do the old, the old school kind of Julian Bream thing where I count to count to eight, nine, or ten or whatever before I come back out on stage now. And so I, 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 I don't have like. So I mean, the audience gets an idea early on that I'm not going to run right out anyway. So I think the most I've ever gotten was like four. You have to come off stage at least twice because if you come off once and then sit back down, they're not really asking for an encore because you're yeah. going to come off stage anyway. So like I always felt like they have to really want one. So yeah, actually on that subject of encores, that really was where the slow ones came in. It's like, well, I really do play these slow ones as encores uh, sometimes. And then, but then that left, you know, 20 something minutes of the CD where I was like, well, you know, I've always wanted to learn Dean's arrangement of Afelicidage, but I never had time. You know, there's just so many, so many things you can learn when you're doing all these concertos and chamber projects and, and new music things. So that, so then that CD became the vehicle, that project became the vehicle to maybe do, to learn some short things that I would never learn before. Like, I've always loved Sunburst by Andrew York, but I just never had any kind of reason to learn it, if that makes sense. There wasn't any professional situation in which I had to learn it. I mean, I've learned a lot of pieces where someone actually, as part of the contract was, can you learn this and play it in the thing and we'll pay you X amount of dollars. And I was like, well, if that's the gig, then I'll learn this piece. But, you know, the, the record became the reason to say, you know, learn Sunburst and Afelicidage. And so it turned out to be, as we were programming it together, it turned out to be a very nice program that started to emerge that did have this mix of, you know, when you think of Dean's or you think of um, Andrew York, My Allington arrangement, it had this nice kind of mix of things, even to a certain extent, the Stanley Myers, which has a kind of an Americana type of uh, harmony, a little bit of a mu movie music kind of thing. And then you combine that with the Spanish things. And, uh, you know, it just had this, uh, I don't know, it just had a, a nice, a right kind of feeling to it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally know what you mean when there's so many little gems in the guitar repertoire, but often it's tough to program them, you know, because they're just kind of one-off little pieces and to play just a three-minute work a bit out of context and the rest of the program is difficult. So, so that's great to hear that you're able to uh, have a reason uh, to play those pieces. Well, I, speaking of other recordings, uh, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this one yet, but I was looking at your Instagram page earlier. It looks like you're in the works of doing the volume two of the Bach Lute Suites. It's been, it's been in the can for a long time. My end of it has been done since come uh since last june june of 2019 i did i recorded 1005 in june that i finished i finished uh, you know the last take the day before my recital at uh, the cleveland guitar festival yeah and that's that's kind of thing i mean a lot of the what happened with i think with the label is that you know more recent years they've you know they've got a lot of big artists on there now the dover string quartet and and brentano and, and a lot of you know pretty major artists on there and so they they got quite busy too over the last you know a uh, few years or so so there's a little bit they they are more in that kind of backlog maybe uh thing in terms of uh turnaround of they, they see they were really basically a two-man operation 
so when when they started getting a lot more you know as they've grown they've been growing for you know 25 30 years that's kind of what happens is they 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 they've start i think that maybe they've had some of the 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 problems that a, another major label might have in terms of turnaround time so I, you know it just they, it's there's a lot of great artists on the label now and so they have that typical one year what, what do you call it grace period of time from the time that the artist finishes the last take until it actually can be go into the post-production phase and i think that's very normal in fact there's a lot of a lot of labels that it's like two years well i'm super excited to hear that is there any projected dates or do we do we have to wait to hear about that my pr folks would uh, love to know the answer to that question as well if i had an answer for that then they would have known first and and thus uh, you and a lot of other media outlets would know as well. So, <laughs> what uh, what you do in regards to the arrangements or the transcriptions? Are these your arrangements that you're playing of the Bach? Or are you reading off the vi- or not the violin, the the lute tablature? Well, no, these are all violin work. You know, the first one was called Works for Lute Volume One. So this next one we'll call it, you know, Works for Violin Volume Two because. The 1006, of course, is the third violin partita. So, mm-hmm. as, in addition to it being the fourth lute suite, so the so that one I did, of course, with the lute uh, sources and stuff that were available, and the you know the usual thing that any you know I guess concert guitarist would do is you got to kind of make the choices. You got to make the fingering choices according to the best possible musical result that you can come up with at the time, and particularly to the the prelude. And so my the, the idea with the prelude is going to be it's going to be I think what some people are going to hear is similar to the first volume is there's a lot of grappling with how can you how can you do the fingering so they extract the most music that I can at that time you know and then then of course the record is a snapshot of that and so the so I think people are going to hear a lot of things in the prelude that are that they may not have, they, they, that maybe hadn't been considered before in the fingerings and in the voice leading, um, which was a lot of what the feedback was from guitar players after the first volume, which I was happy about. I thought that was cool. That I was really actually heartened that a lot of that work wasn't really just for myself, that a lot of people actually heard the stuff. You know what I mean? Like they heard the, the nutrients. <laughs> Yeah, or whatever I, that I was trying to bring out. So, yeah. And I think they'll hear that a lot in the 1005 and 1001 as well. I, I, had, I had been playing 1001, the first violin sonata in G minor, as far back as 1999. But when I did it, well, I thought, well, I could do 1001 because I played it before. But when I went back to the fugue and presto in particular, so I'd done my own kind of thing basically probably very similar to, I mean, my, my inspiration back then was, and which of course still an inspiring example in anything he does is Manuel Barueco. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, the reason I wanted to play it in G minor was because that's, he was playing it in its original key, but every musician has to find their solutions with any of this music. And they have to grapple with what is, you know, what they feel is important to them to bring out. And so even coming back to this, I had done it off the violin score the first time 20-something years ago, and or 20 years ago, and, and uh, coming back to it a few years ago, I changed a lot of fingerings in the fugue and a lot of things in the presto. Yeah. To, to where, because, you know, 10, 20 years go by, as a musician, 
you know, you're going to see more things than you saw. I, I mean, that should be the case, really, right? It was, you you kind of hope you're still growing as a musician. And I saw a lot of other things that I hadn't really considered. So I redid a lot of those fingerings, and I'm hoping people will hear uh, some things they may not have considered uh, before. For At least for guitar players, I mean, it's definitely not a guitar record for me. I mean, it's a music record, but like they all are. But I'm hoping that guitar players will kind of hear some of these things and try to give them a shot. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you keep, you're keeping it in G minor still. Yeah, the 1001 is in G yeah. minor. Very good. There, you know, it's kind of one of my, I, you know, I should have toot my horn, but it's one of my pet peeves when guitars throw it into A minor. I totally get why they're doing it. I've heard it done successfully, but you know, G minor just, especially on the guitar when it's pulled off, it just has such a somber, beautiful, uh, dark sound to it. I agree, and I, and also, how many things do we get to play in G minor that are that good? That are pieces of that quality. But conversely, I totally understand. You know, the pros to doing it in A minor, you're going to get more resonance. You're going to get a tonic and a dominant that are open string. I, I don't begrudge anybody for doing it. But yeah, I feel like, man, that's just too much to that's too much of an opportunity to pass up to be able to play this thing, you know, and, and to, to play a Bach suite in G minor. And I don't and I don't score to tour the, the low string either. I just play I, I basically play like that. The approach is going to be very similar in that sense to borrow echo, just going to be different fingerings. Are there any um, upcoming recordings that you're planning out now, or are you taking a little bit of a break now that you uh, got the Bach in the can? Well, with this uh, virus thing, I mean, uh, going on, I'm actually writing uh, a lot of music. There have been a lot of things that, as a musician, I've I've never, because of my performance career, I've never really had the time to do. And I get asked all the time, you know, by you know, audiences and classical musicians. I mean, do you, do you compose? You must compose. And it's like, well, I mean, I can't, I think I can. I, I mean, I never really, you know, had the time and I've definitely written things for musicians in certain musical professional situations, you know, not unlike you would write for a studio session or like I'd write a soloist, like a solo for a cellist or something like that mm-hmm. in, a, in a situation like where, the maybe the musician didn't improvise or something like that and you have to write something you know you have to write something for them to play and i can do that very fast so i this has given me an opportunity to maybe try to get some of these things down on paper and so we do have a bit of a project that we my producer and i kind of cooked up last week alan bice and i to maybe we make it kind of like a no, make a CD of just entire, entirely my compositions. Because we're going to have two months, you know, we're going to have a couple months where we're not going anywhere. You know, perfect time, right, to make a solo record. Maybe we'll call it Lockdown, Quarantines <laughs> for Guitar. Oh, well, that, that should be very exciting. And Well, I can't you, promise that we're going to finish it. I mean, yeah. I, got kid, I got two small kids, too. Yeah. So, if I'm, so I got to, you know, I'm spending time with them, a lot more time, obviously, because I'm usually on the road two-thirds of the year, so that's nice to be with them. And yeah, you know, you just got to gotta use the time uh, and do what you can. I'm doing a lot more artist works, you know, my online school. Th- there's a lot of things that you normally, you know, with, with teaching at Curtis and Cleveland Institute of Music and performing, those are the three kind of, you know, big things in my professional life. So when, when one of those, the really big thing, the performing thing is really the, you know, when that's not there, one thing that can kind of help, you know, get your mind off of 
those troubles is writing, you know, and just sitting with the guitar and figuring out problems, you know, compositionally with that way. So I've written already like written like, you know, two etudes. I might, part of the record might be some things that are like fully fleshed out pieces. And then some of it might be, like, I don't know yet, maybe a series of etudes. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to maybe see something and uh, at the least, hopefully, uh, Maybe uh, once uh, concerts are, are back into session, uh, do, you, do you see yourself performing some of these works on the stage, or are you thinking just recording? That totally introduces that now as a, as a possibility, right? I mean, if you're going to do that, then why not, you know, why not have a little set on stage, you know, and uh, in, in the solo uh, recitals? I think, um, you know, we'll see. Again, it's a lot of that. You know, a lot of that thing, of course, is going to be up in the air until we don't even know if the project like this is even going to see the light of day. Uh, but but yeah, it just you got to use the time is kind of the main point there. So I'm using the time as well as I can, I guess. Absolutely. And is this um, are you incorporating some jazz elements into this style? How would you describe your uh, compositional style? I mean, I think I think, again, because of my listening background, I think that's almost impossible not to. Uh, there's going to be, you know. There will, of course, if you look at the arrangements or you know, if you take something like What a Wonderful World, I mean, if I, if I can't resist putting, you know, more, you know, those are pretty straight ahead chords, you know, triads and such in the original version, the original arrangement of that song. And then my arrangement, of course, you know, if I can't stop myself from throwing a couple substitutions or whatever in there, then obviously I think probably what it's, a lot of what I write is going to have, you know, a similar bent, I guess. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm not, I look, let, let me just preface this with like, I'm no Donald Fagan, but you know, it'll, it's, uh, you know, that's kind of my stuff, you know, that's a lot of my language, I guess, if I, if it, turns out that i have one at all is going to be pretty heavily influenced by guys like that or you know uh you know pat metheny or something like that so special thanks to jason for being on the show he had to call me from outdoors in a brisk 40 degrees fahrenheit weather i hope you'll join me again in two weeks for a conversation with another great guitarist i'm going to leave things uh with the concluding track from jason's uh grammy award-winning play album this is his own arrangement of Duke Ellington's In a Sentimental Mood. I'm David Steinhardt, and we'll see you next time for the Tone Base Classical Guitar Podcast. Thank you.